The Old Testament reading is Habakkuk 2, 2 through 4. And this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Now let's turn to Romans, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. We are uh, continuing our study of Paul's epistle to the Romans. And this morning we are at chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. When we think of the great Protestant Reformation of the 1500s, and when we think about what started uh, that Reformation, uh, we usually think, of course, of the 95 Theses that uh, Martin Luther uh, nailed to the door of Castle Church in Wittenberg. But it may be more accurate to say that what began, or what was the spark of the Reformation was not the 95 Theses, but rather it was two Bible verses. The true impetus for the Reformation was uh, the truth that uh, Luther uh, discovered, or really rediscovered, as he studied these two verses, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and verse 17. Uh, Martin Luther, he was a young professor at the University in Wittenberg, professor of theology, and as part of his uh, work and study, he began an intense uh, study of the book of Romans. And there is one phrase uh, in the book of Romans in chapter 1, verse 16, that uh, proved to be a great torment uh, to Luther's soul. And that phrase is, the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God. And Luther was taught to understand that the righteousness of of God is that righteousness by which a holy God, a righteous God, condemns unrighteous and unholy sinners. And for Martin Luther, uh, an Augustinian monk who had an extraordinarily intense uh, understanding or sense of his own sin, of his own unworthiness before God, uh, this idea that the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel, uh, condemns him, this became uh, a torment. This struck terror into Luther's heart. And Martin Luther even went so far as to say this. This is his own reflections on this time in which he wrestled with these verses. He said, Though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that as a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. 
I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that he was placated by my satisfaction. I did not love, yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. Now that's brutally honest. But Luther is saying that when he considered that the righteousness of God spoken of here in Romans chapter 1 is that righteousness by which God condemns sinners, he could not love that God. He even hated him. But he continued to wrestle with what Paul wrote in these two verses in Romans. And finally, after meditating day and night on these words, by the mercy of God, by the grace of God, he came to see them in an entirely different light. When he saw that Paul quoted at the end of these verses from the prophet Habakkuk, he quoted the the verse that we read in Habakkuk chapter 2, the righteous shall live by faith. Luther finally understood that the righteousness of God does not refer to that righteousness by which God condemns sinners, but he saw it as the righteousness that God gives freely as a gift to sinners, as a gift to the ungodly. That is, to all who come by faith in Jesus Christ, God gives the gift of his righteousness for our salvation. And so what he came to see is that what Paul is talking about here is that righteousness by which we as sinners are counted righteous. We are reckoned to be righteous in the sight of God. And that made all the difference in the world for Luther. He says this, he said, here, when he came to this realization, he says, here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. And it was this rediscovery of the truth, of the truth that lies at the heart of the gospel that proved not only to be life-changing for Luther himself, but ultimately changed the course of the history of the church and truly changed the course of the history of the world. Luther and the other reformers, they preached this truth, they preached the gospel, and this truth that Luther rediscovered was at the heart of that gospel, and that is that a sinner is justified by God, he is made right with God, not by his obedience, not by works of the law, but he is made righteous by a gift of God's righteousness to him. And that is received, of course, by faith alone. So, As the passage says, the righteous shall live by faith. So these two verses are extremely important then in the history of the church, but they're also very important in understanding the book of Romans as we move forward from here. Uh, Because really, these two verses are kind of a summary of the theme of Romans. And the theme, the, uh, the message of Romans is how God justifies sinners, the grace by which we are justified, or the gospel by which we are saved. And these two truths teach us, or these two verses, teach us two truths about the gospel. First of all, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. That's verse 16. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And secondly, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God in verse 17. So first, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. In verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, right before this, uh, Paul had told the Romans that he was under obligation to preach the gospel to the Gentile people and to all kinds of Gentile people. He says in verse 14 that he is under obligation to preach both to Greeks and to barbarians. 
both to the wise and to the foolish. And because he was under this divine obligation, because it was his duty as one who has been set apart by Christ to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to preach the gospel to the world, to the Gentiles. Therefore, Paul says, I'm also eager uh, to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. But for Paul, what drove him to preach this gospel was not only that he was under divine obligation. It's not only that he was uh, constrained uh, by Christ, his Lord, uh, to do what he has been called to do to preach the gospel. That was not the only thing that drove Paul, but there was something about the gospel itself that compelled him, that drove him to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is what he says in verse 16. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And so the gospel is that which brings us lost human beings, sinful human beings, perishing apart from the grace of God. The gospel brings us that one thing that we need more than anything else, and that is salvation. Salvation. Now, the quest for salvation, this is not just the concern, or this has not just been the concern for medieval monks like Martin Luther, but the pursuit of salvation, the longing for salvation, the desire for deliverance. This has been man's preoccupation ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when our first parents sinned against God, and brought the curse of death upon them and the entire human race. And ever since then, we have been trying to overcome the effects of, this, of the fall and of sin. We long for a deliverance from death and the harsh realities of a world that is burdened by sin and evil. And man has been looking for a salvation that he knows that he needs, but the problem is we have been looking for salvation in all the wrong places and in all the wrong ways. You could characterize all the religions in the world under one a common theme or ideas, and that is religion is just the attempt by man to achieve some kind of deliverance or salvation with the help of God or of the gods. Uh, for those who have uh, rejected the belief in a deity or gods, uh, there is philosophy. And you could say that the history of philosophy is the history of man's attempt uh, to find salvation apart from God uh, by the use of human reason and observation and so on. Uh, there are people who devote themselves to a political ideology or to a social justice movement, and they too are striving for some sort of a deliverance or salvation. Their idea is if we can identify and eradicate all the evils in society, we can achieve some kind of uh, utopia, some sort of salvation here on earth. And on a more individual level, and this is something that we all experience, we desire, we long for, we, 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 we hope for uh, earthly security, comfort and pleasure. And in doing that, in setting our hopes on that, we are looking for a kind of salvation within this world. Because we know the world isn't right. We know there is something profoundly wrong with us and the world. We know we must die one day. And so in one way or the other, we, all people are searching for some kind of deliverance for what is, from what is wrong with ourselves and the world. But the problem is we are powerless 
We are powerless to save ourselves. We cannot do it on our own. If you look at the history of the human race, we have proven ourselves to be utterly incapable of creating anything resembling a world in which there is peace and harmony and human flourishing and prosperity and happiness. There may be uh, times here and there in which that may be closer to the truth, but it never lasts. And even if we could create such a world, even if we were able as uh, the human race to come together to create a world in which there was no more war, no more violence, no more killing, even if we could do that, we would still face the problem that we must all die one day. Things would still not be right. And we would be just as helpless as ever in the face of death. And so we are hopeless, we are helpless, we are powerless to save ourselves. We cannot do it. But there is a power outside of us to save us. And that is the power of God. The power of God. When Paul refers here to the power of God, what he's talking about is God's omnipotence. His almighty power, that he is God. He is infinite in power. It is only by the power of God that he could create all things. The world in which we live, the heavens and the earth, God created all of this by the word of his power, by merely uttering his word. All things came into being, and by that same power, almighty God upholds and sustains all things. It is by the power of God that Jesus Christ Raise the dead to life. And this is the power by which God saves sinners. And where is that power to be found? The power of God to bring salvation to sinners, to do what we cannot do, is found in the message. It is inherent in the message of the gospel. When Jesus Christ, when he is proclaimed as the son of God, who came into the world to take our sin that he was crucified for sinners, that by the power of God he was raised from death to life on the third day. When that message is proclaimed, when the gospel is preached, there is power in that message because God empowers it to bring salvation to sinners. And although the world despises and scorns the message of Christ crucified, although the world often mocks uh, the preachers of the gospel, the messengers of this good news, Nevertheless, Paul says he is not ashamed of the gospel. A part of what that means is that he was not personally embarrassed by the gospel. He was willing to preach the gospel. But what part of this means is also he gloried in the gospel. Not only was he not ashamed of it, but it was his boast. It was that which he gloried in. He loved the gospel. He preached the gospel. Why? Because in it, God does what we cannot do. He frees us from our bondage to sin and death. He gives us everlasting life. And what Paul says here in verse 16 is really programmatic for the mission of the church. Here are the marching orders for the church of Jesus Christ. And that is to preach Christ, to preach the gospel. Now, is it a good thing to tell people what the will of God is for their lives, how they are to live, how they are to order their lives, what is right, what is wrong. Absolutely, that is a good thing. People should be encouraged to live lives that are moral, that are pleasing to God, that are in conformity with the will of God as, is, as it is given to us in the scripture. But morality is not the power of God for salvation. 
The law of God is not the power of God for salvation. Obedience is not the power of God for salvation. Is it good for Christians to do good in the world? To engage in uh, activities that uh, show uh, goodness to others, that improve the conditions of society? Yes, that is good. But that is not the mission of the church. Social activism is not the power of God for salvation. But the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is what the church is to preach. The gospel is what the church is to bear witness to. Our mission as a church is to bear witness to the truth that there is life and forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the savior of sinners. That is what the church is to do. Because as Paul says, it is the, it is the gospel that is the power of God. For salvation. And the church is to preach this gospel to all people and to all kinds of people. And that's because it is the power of God for salvation, not just to some, but to all. That is to all who believe. In verse 16, Paul says, The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And notice just how all-inclusive this gospel message is. That the offer of salvation in the gospel includes everyone. There is no limit to what kind of person may come to God through faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. So what this means is that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how bad your sins have been. It doesn't matter what kind of life you have lived. It doesn't matter what your background is. But if you come to Jesus Christ by faith, you will be saved. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But at the same time, there is one people in the world who have a certain priority in God's purposes, his plan of salvation, and that is the Jewish people, those who have descended from Abraham, the Jews. Paul says in verse 16 that the gospel is for the Jew first, or to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. At one point in his ministry, our Lord said this. He said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, Israel was the people of God. Uh, the promise of the coming Messiah was given to the people of Israel. Uh, theirs was the covenants, the promises. They were God's people. And Jesus was sent to them, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so there is a certain priority for the people of Israel, for the Jews, in God's purposes of, of salvation. Now, that salvation has gone out into all the world. But as Paul will later show in Romans, God still has a purpose to bring the people of Israel to salvation in Christ. We'll get to that uh, later in the book of Romans. But the promise of redemption... As Paul says here, it is for the Jew first, but also for the Greek. It is for everyone, everyone who believes, everyone who comes to faith in Christ. So after Paul says in verse 16 that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, he goes on in verse 17 to tell us why that is the case. And so he says in, seven, in verse 17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, many, many trees have been sacrificed uh, to produce the paper, uh, to produce the, the articles and the books that have been written. 
uh, by theologians over the years uh, to explain uh, what is meant by the righteousness of God. At least partly, uh, we could say it refers to uh, God's righteousness as an attribute of himself, that he he is righteous, he is holy, he is just. And so there's a limited sense, at least, in which the gospel is a revelation of the righteousness of God. But, but the truth that set Luther free, uh, the truth that caused him to feel like he was born again, that opened the gates of paradise for him, that is the truth that in verse 17, what is being said here is that the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God is not primarily his inherent righteousness by which he judges people, but the righteousness of God in verse 17, this is the righteousness revealed in the gospel that God imputes or he reckons to those who come to faith in Christ. It is his righteousness that is a gift for sinners who come to him uh, through Christ. And one reason why we know that this is what the righteousness of God, what that phrase means here in Romans 1, 16 and 17, is because of the way that Paul uses that expression or similar expressions in his other writings. For example, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, Um, Let me read those two verses. This is what Paul says. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so Paul's hope was not his own righteousness based on observing the law, but his hope was the righteousness that comes from God. And that righteousness from God is the very same thing that Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 1, the righteousness of God. It is a righteousness from God, a gift of God. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we read this. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Well, in what sense is it that we become the righteousness of God? We become the righteousness of God in the very same sense that this verse says that Jesus was made sin for us. That is, just as Jesus was counted unrighteous, just as Jesus was imputed with our sin and our guilt, he was made sin in that sense, so in the very same sense, The righteousness of Christ is reckoned as ours. It is counted as ours so that we become the righteousness of God. And so, again, when we consider what Paul says in other places, it sheds light on what he means here when he talks about the righteousness of God being revealed in the gospel. It is that gift that he gives us. And this is the truth that lies at the very heart of the gospel. I said earlier that ever since uh, the fall of Adam and Eve, ever since they disobeyed God and plunged the human race into sin and misery and guilt and and everything that we are living with now, ever since then, man has been on a quest for salvation. Whether he calls it that or not, whether he recognizes that or not, that is, we, we are looking for deliverance. But the problem is we don't really understand our most basic problem. What do we need to be saved from? What do we need to be delivered from? Now, of course, we need to be delivered from death, from evil, 
from the consequences of our sin, but there's something greater, something more fundamental from which we need deliverance, salvation. Our most fundamental problem as sinners is that we are, we are guilty before a God who is perfect in holiness and righteousness. And apart from his grace, because of our sin, because of our guilt, we must be condemned. We must be judged guilty and suffer the consequences of that punishment, which is an eternal separation from God, eternal suffering, the penalty of the law for our sin. That is our most fundamental problem. It's not just that we experience suffering and misery in this world because of our sin, the sins of others, because we live in a fallen world. That is bad enough. But that's not our basic problem. Our basic problem is that we cannot come before God in our sin and expect anything but eternal condemnation. And so the salvation that we need, the deliverance that we need, is a deliverance from the wrath of God. And Luther, he understood this as well as anyone else has ever understood it. In his day, Luther, he was a pious monk. Uh, We would hold him up today as a paragon of righteousness and piety. This is a godly man. He doesn't do anything wrong. He lives in his, you know, with his fellow monks and he's righteous. He prays all day. He worships all day. But Luther knew his heart. Luther knew that within there was impurity There was sin. He knew that he wasn't right before God. And so as he wrestled with verses 16 and 17, he couldn't get past this notion of the righteousness of God that must condemn him. He couldn't get past that until he came to see that the righteousness of God is actually what saves him. It's not what condemns him, but it's what saves him. And this is what saves you and me. In the gospel, God takes the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ and he applies it to you as though you yourself, as Jesus did, as, you, as though you yourself lived, have lived a perfect life, as though you have never sinned, as though your entire life you have given yourself 100% entirely to the worship and the obedience of God and the love of your neighbor. That is how God looks upon you as you are covered with the righteousness of Christ. He gives you his righteousness so that your sins are forgiven, so that it is as though you have never sinned at all. All of the sins of which you and I are guilty, when God looks upon us as we are in Christ, he doesn't see them. They are gone. All he sees is righteousness, purity, holiness. And so in Christ, your sins are forgiven. You are pure, you are holy, you are righteous in Jesus Christ. And one day when Jesus comes again to judge all people, you will be declared on that day by Christ that you are innocent. You will, show, you will be revealed before all creation as to what you truly are in Christ, that is, a child of God, beloved of God, an heir of everlasting life. This is the gift that God gives us. In Christ, And this is why what Paul says here in Romans 1, 16 and 17 gets at the very heart of the gospel. A righteousness of God revealed, given to us in the gospel. 
Paul says in verse 16 that this power of God for salvation is to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. And then in verse 17, he says that this righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Uh, This is another phrase that has cost the lives of a few trees as uh, people have tried to explain and understand what does this mean. It's hard to be really dogmatic about what this phrase means. Um, I believe, my understanding, is that what Paul is saying here is that it is by faith from first to last. Only by faith. If you read the English Standard Version, you'll notice the footnote for this expression. From faith, for faith, the footnote says, beginning and ending with faith. In other words, the righteousness by which we are justified the righteousness that we receive is a gift from God. It, has, it is not based in any part. It is not grounded in any way on your obedience, your goodness, your works. It is entirely yours by coming to Jesus, entrusting yourself to him, submitting to him, believing in him. It is from faith for faith. And then Paul goes on to show at the end of verse 17 that this, this gospel truth, that we are saved, delivered by faith alone, that this is nothing new. He didn't invent this. This is not something that he came up with, but this was the gospel that was preached in the Old Testament as well. He quotes from the prophet, prophet Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. Those who are counted righteous before God because of this gift of righteousness. They are those who will live forever in glory. The righteous shall live. And how is that? It is by faith. It is by faith. And so the only way of salvation is putting your trust in Jesus Christ. And if you have not entrusted yourself to Christ, believe in him. Repent of your sin. Come to Jesus Christ as your Savior. Believe in him. And when you do, his righteousness becomes your own. Your sins are forgiven. You receive the gift of eternal life. And this is the gospel of salvation. This is the power of God for salvation. Coming to the person of Jesus Christ as he is revealed to us in the gospel. This is how we are saved from all that we need to be saved from. And this is what these two verses are all about. This is what changed the life of Luther. This is what changed the course of the church. This is the power of God. And as we'll see in these two verses, the gospel, this is a summary also of what really the letter to Romans is all about, this gospel by which we are saved. Let's pray.